Welcome to Stay Engaged 2023. Now in its fourth year, Stay Engaged is back to captivate you with a compelling lineup of weekly offstage sessions from esteemed IAB UK members and the creme de la creme of the digital advertising industry. Prepare yourself for a whirlwind of creativity as each episode aims to ignite your imagination and revolutionize your thinking. Ready to hear about the breakthroughs in AI-driven advertising? We have Quantcast Conrad Fellman and Deb Stambar in the studio today talking about the increase of human interactivity with artificial intelligence and how better computers and new algorithms have led to huge advancements in the advertising industry. Here's Conrad. Well, I got interested first in computers as a kid and learned to program. And then when I went to university, I went to UCL in London to study computer science. And in my final year, I got interested in this technology called neural networks. And it's the idea that there's something about the way the brain processes information that allows you know, humans to establish this broad range of intelligence. There's something in these simple processing units. And the idea of Neural networks was to create sort of an artificial copy of that and hopefully artificial intelligence. From there, I started my career actually in research in neural networks whilst I was pursuing a PhD. And I didn't finish the PhD because I started a company that was using these new techniques to do things we now refer to as data mining, helping businesses understand patterns in their business data. That took me into building software systems, primarily in the financial services space to understand patterns in data. And then onto Quantcast, where I was fascinated by internet data and the potential for these machine learning and AI techniques to better understand audiences and bring a more quantitative, repeatable and predictable approach to making advertising more relevant. Let's talk a little bit more about that in terms of today's, what is the zeitgeist of today, which is large language models, right? We're seeing these in this generative AI that now everyone all of a sudden is talking about things like chat GPT and BARD and AutoGPT and Dolly and others that have produced an enormous amount of headlines and lots of hyperbole. And you really can't sort of go past a news piece or article on TV without someone talking about AI, positive or negative. Comrade, tell us a little bit more about, you know, why we're here today. How did we get here? So it is incredible to see the recent progress and advances in, in AI, in particular with these large language models. It's certainly captured everyone's attention. And there's a great deal of hype, and I think a lot of it is warranted. It's not the first time there's been a lot of hype in AI. And actually, these large language models are based on this technology called neural networks. And, you know, research on neural networks goes back decades. Initially, it was in the late 1800s, actually, that researchers found out that our brain is made up of these simple, small processing units, neurons, that are connected to lots of other neurons. You know, fast forward in the 40s, there was a sort of a mathematical formulation of how perhaps these neurons worked. And in the 50s, actually in, in 56, there was a conference at Dartmouth College where the term AI was coined. And many of the researchers who were there went back to their own institutions. And there was a lot of excitement around AI. It was the first time that the hype in AI really started to build. In 1958, there was a learning algorithm for these artificial neurons. And actually, there was a project funded by the Navy and people were super excited. And there was a New York Times article at the time, and I can't remember exactly, but it basically said, you know, in a few years, these machines, they're going to be able to understand, to write, to see, and be conscious of their own existence. So that was sort of, you know, sometimes when things get so hyped, there's only one way they go. 
And it turned out actually that for all the excitement, there were a lot of fairly straightforward problems these systems couldn't solve. And we went into what was then called an AI winter. It was actually the first AI winter. It didn't mean that research stopped. It meant that there was less funding, less new ideas, but actually progress was being made all along. During this period, we had the development of technology that's very widely used today called expert systems. And the idea is, is if you can work with an expert in a field and elicit how they solve problems and make decisions, you can codify that in an algorithm. And the algorithm can then sort of respond with some of the sort of the intelligence, the illusion of intelligence the rules of that expert. Exactly. Right. Rules-based systems. And they were very widely used. And then, you know, neural networks got a bit of a second wind as people worked out how to train more complex models. The fact that computers always get more powerful has been a big driving force as well. And actually the availability of data. So one of the, uh, one of the sort of foundations of machine learning is, you know, with most computer programs and code, you explicitly program all of the details. And the idea of machine learning is rather than having to explicitly program all the details, the machines can learn by experience right. from training data. And having more and more data has helped researchers develop new algorithms and solve new problems. So fast forward to today, we have immense computing power. You know, the sorts of processes that have been developed for all of us to play computer games are actually really well suited to these problems. And they dwarf the power of supercomputers from maybe 10 years ago. It's really, it's really incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's really incredible. And on top of that, you know, the data sets now, well, it's the whole internet. That's right. ChatGPT, Bard, they're trained on the whole internet. So you've got these enormous data sets, these, you know, meaningful breakthroughs in the development of the algorithms, deep neural networks, the T in ChatGPT stands for transformer. From this, we've had this really interesting ability to understand language and you know, language is the way in which humans express and document knowledge. And it turns out that when you start to understand language and a computer can build predictive models around language, it can start to answer some really interesting questions and summarize content. So we're seeing this, all these sort of this flowering, if you like, new capabilities. And I think it's really inspiring people in terms of what may be possible. Yeah. And I think part of this sort of renaissance, if you will, of AI and really, you know, sort of coming back in vogue has a lot to do exactly with what you said, right? So more data more computing power, right? The ability to, and then putting that into the hands of your average person to be able to now tactilely understand like, oh, this is what AI is. And in fact, we're seeing it, you know, I think we've all experienced it, you know, in in some of the brands that are already exploring these, whether it's Adidas or Sephora, right? Leveraging those chatbots for customer service or even agencies using, you know, the creative generators to be able to start with the seed of an idea and then take that forward. But I think the thing that's interesting, especially in the advertising world today, is that AI is not one size fits all, right? And it's not necessarily the chat GPT that's going to solve some of the most pressing challenges and biggest complexities that we have within programmatic advertising. Yeah, I think certainly one of the, one of the reasons that these new models have captured everyone's attention is that they're so accessible. You don't need to be a programmer right. to interact with it and to sort of see the results that are possible. If you are a programmer, they can actually help you with your coding and suggestions around your coding. So it, that's really interesting. And obviously there's a very broad applicability from these sorts of techniques, whether that's sort of helping with translation or coming up with ideas about how to rephrase content or creating images, photorealistic images. There's a lot of ways in which these can supplement 
human productivity and creativity. And they're really good where things are expressed in images or especially where things are expressed in terms of text. Right. There are actually a lot of problems we have to deal with all the time in advertising, which aren't expressed quite so well in terms of language. And I think right. about the growth of programmatic advertising, obviously the ability to connect to consumers wherever they are and the ability to, at a fine grain impression by impression level, decide whether you value a particular impression or not and put it all together is really powerful. It's also very complex. And the approach that has been used substantially to date actually is similar to those expert systems. That's right. Where you sort of have the operator, the trader, the marketer expressing all of the parameters and the rules that they want the machine to follow. But this is really complex for something that could have millions of decisions to make a second and where every impression is, of course, different. And there are other approaches, other forms of machine learning that can be well suited to some of these problems in terms of, you know, identifying the patterns or the characteristics of audiences that may be relevant for a particular marketer, being able to effectively value an impression given the objectives and the outcomes that a particular marketer is looking for. And then, of course, to orchestrate and put together a whole series of impressions to create a campaign and to provide a level of control and automation that can be continually making changes and optimizing towards goals and ultimately is freeing up marketers to do the things, you know, in many ways, the original term of the use computer was actually a person who did analytic work and input it into systems. Computing. Com yeah, that was right. the computer. They were the people. They were analytical. They were entering information into systems. And, you know, if you think about a lot of the work that's done today in programmatic, a lot of it is quite rote and repetitive and it involves checking numbers in Excel and coming back in. I think the opportunity here is to free people up from that. Machines are actually quite good at analyzing large amounts of data finding patterns and information and making decisions very quickly. You know, they can make millions of decisions a second. And in doing that, they can free up marketers to be creative, to try new strategies. Whereas before, if you had an idea about a strategy, the cost of executing it was so high, you didn't even get to try it. Now, if you have machines that can help you sort of autonomously execute campaigns, you can rely on them to, you know, dependably deliver results you're freed up to try out new ideas. Yeah, and I think it's just multiplied by, as a marketer, right, and I can attest to this, right, you've got your demand-side platforms, your supply-side platforms, you've got data management, you've got customer data platforms. To be able to process all of that information simultaneously as a single human being or even a group of human beings, right, it becomes an impossible, you know, equation, right? So we need to be able to leverage these machines and leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning to help us make progress faster because there is so much data that we have to sort through to make these decisions effectively. Yeah, absolutely. The history of technology has been about enhancing productivity and freeing people up to do more. So let's put it, the complexity a bit in context, right? And so we've just talked about, right, how much, you know, data we have at our disposal and marketers, you know, in a really great way have access to more than ever. But at the same time, you know, it creates that challenge of how do you process that? So, you know, in terms of artificial intelligence in a programmatic setting, can you talk a little bit about how that helps us reach outcomes? So you're absolutely right. Marketers have more data than ever, and that's obviously really valuable. And part of the work they can do with that is, of course, better understand audiences. But to then turn that into a plan and activate it, there's a lot of work that needs to take place today in, in which is sort of translating that. That's right. So a lot of the, a lot of the work that's done is to form an opinion of the audience that, that someone wants to reach and then, 
know, traditional DSP is identify the different segments that might help you reach that. And that's not a necessarily an easy matching process. You don't necessarily know what's within those individual segments and how much they relate ultimately to the customer group you want or if they're changing. And so, you know, one of the ways in which we use AI is to build predictive models. We use sort of signals rather than segments. So, you know, we're fortunate to work with a very large, a unique, a proprietary data set that comes from Quantcast Measure. Quantcast Measure is used by, you know, millions, over a hundred million online destinations to understand their audiences. And that gives us a sort of a broad real-time perspective into media consumption. And media consumption is one way of understanding sort of the zeitgeist of audiences and of particular groups of audiences. For example, the group that are considered high-value customers by a marketer. Yep. And so we're able to use, in this case, a machine learning approach to build a predictive model. Given all of this mass of signals, we're using machine learning to learn, you know, which signals collectively are indicators that a particular, you know, group of consumers, a particular audience is more likely to be interested in and respond to a particular proposition. So it gives you a systematic way of developing a unique audience model for every marketer. And predicting who's most likely to buy, essentially, right? Using that machine learning to understand who is your current best customer, what are all the signals around that customer, and then being able to then predict, right, out there in the, you know, open web, who else looks like that person? And it's not always the assumption of the audience that necessarily the marketer comes with, right? Plus 100, you know, 100 grand in income or gender or demographic or whatnot. There are other signals, right, that we're able to see that help to paint a more fuller picture of those individuals and of those audiences. When we think about classifying an audience, you know, humans are great at pattern recognition. We tend to recognize the sort of the strong features. And, you know, one of the things that machines are really good at, and, you know, we, our brains work to operate on the data sets that we've been used to dealing with. You know, we operate in a world with a certain number of dimensions and a certain number of things going on. Machines can consider many more dimensions and they're able to find, you know, the strong features, the things that stand out and are obvious to us. They can also find weaker features, things that on first brush, you might not understand why those were predictive. But by amassing lots of them, each of them may not be highly predictive, like some of these strong features, but collectively they can give you more scale. And the other advantage is the reasons that people are interested in a particular product or offering or brand may change. They may change quite quickly based on their own personal needs, based on what's going on in the broader world. And trying to keep track of that for every product you have is really hard. Whereas machines, you know, they don't need to sleep. They can just continuously process and analyze this data at a scale that's essentially unfathomable for humans. But machines are just very good at that sort of low-level, high-speed data analysis. And that's what we mean when we talk about optimization, right? So we can understand the audience. One of the stories that I love about from one of our Quantcast customers is it was a coffee company that had a certain profile of an audience. And then we also found out not only were they interested in coffee, but gardening and home improvement were other signals, right, that were maybe weaker signals but it enabled us to find them in a more unique way, right, as a predictive opportunity that of who that audience was. But then the need to optimize, right, to your point of, you know, consumers change. We change our behaviors. We change where we are in the buying process. 
So can you talk about a little bit more about that optimization, that sort of continuous learning that is really necessary in programmatic advertising? Absolutely. Making a programmatic ad campaign really effective is complex. There's lots of decisions that need to be made. To start with, there's making a decision about, you know, who's the right audience to target. There's no marketer that wants to deploy budget against everyone. Everyone's looking for some subset of the population. Some marketers, you know, if you're in FMCG, that could be a really large portion of the population. If you're in B2B software, it could be a relatively small part of the population. So there's some such, some subset of the population you're looking to reach. You know, once you've identified them, you need to access media where you can engage them. And there's lots of different criteria that may be important for that. So on what device is it appearing? At what time? What's the expected viewability? What about brand safety? Is the context appropriate? And this needs to be determined essentially uniquely for every individual impression. So what we're doing is we're using this technology, actually bringing together a number of, I think you mentioned earlier, sort of whilst it's convenient to think of AI as one sort of holistic thing, actually there's lots of different machine learning algorithms. And the systems that sort of best combine these, they're essentially vertically integrated. And it's, you know, there's lots of different algorithms being used in these large language models that are pulled together for the end results. Many of them are even actually trained to specific problem tasks. And it's how you bring them all together and use them in an overall system. So bringing those predictions together to rationally price impressions, but then determine a campaign is multiple impressions. So controlling for the variation that naturally occurs, you know, not all the predictions are perfect. So controlling that to deliver an overall campaign, you know, requires a certain amount of technology and it takes time to put that together, but then frees up people in terms of what they're doing. And the key you mentioned is, it's outcome-based. Yeah. So if you think the historical approach has been to control all of the inputs. That's right. Be able to say, okay, which audience segments, which sites, how should I modify bids for these different things, and then come back and keep correcting them. Right. You know, keep updating those different those different levers. It is exhausting, and it's a losing proposition because there's so many hours in the day and things change so quickly. So by taking a slightly different approach, which is to start with the outcome. You know, here's an example of the goal that we're trying to achieve. You know, machine learning algorithms, all of them are fundamentally goal-seeking algorithms. They're trying to optimize some goal. By starting with that outcome, we can actually remove a lot of the complexity. We can ask the machine, we want you to drive to this outcome. We can, of course, provide constraints. You know, there's constraints around delivery and pacing and the types of sites that are appropriate and aren't, all of those sorts of things. But you sort of specify the outcome, specify the constraints, and then you're using a machine to optimize towards a goal. Typically, you're optimizing actually towards multiple goals because yep. there might be a, you know, the campaign may have a return on ad spend goal, but it's also got a viewability goal. It's also got a delivery and pacing goal and the machine can optimize to all of these. And, you know, they're really effective at doing it. We've seen, you know, a report that Forrester published said that the Quantcast DSP was able to deliver 44% more conversions for every unit of budget, every pound that was spent yep. than sort of traditional DSPs. Right. And the same machine learning sort of outcome-based optimization that has driven that also makes it dramatically easier to use because right. you're not going to specify the input. So that same report said that the time that traders spend to get those results is one half what it is in other systems. And that really frees people up to then think about you know, new marketing strategies, new messaging strategies, and to be able to innovate. And the capacity to be able to do that at scale, right, with less resources, less time, more clients, it just becomes an invaluable proposition to be able to 
really be successful, know that you're going to get the outcomes that you're aiming for, right? It's not just this set it, you know, arbitrary or unknown end game, right? You're really saying this is the goal I'm going after and having that specificity to tell the machine, here's exactly what I'm aiming for just helps to guarantee that you're going to drive the results that you want or need. Yeah, and frees you up. And, you know, you can start to think about maybe trying different goals. Maybe actually, rather than a singular goal for a campaign, there's different audience segments and certain customer types are worth more to you. So you can segment it out and have different sets of goals for those sorts of customers. It really frees you up as a marketer to be more creative rather than literally, if you go from sort of running one objective to running two, literally doubling all the work you've got to do. It's actually really straightforward. A few minutes of configuration to set up that other strategy and have it run for you. Of course, you're going to spend a bit more time interpreting results, but it's nothing like doubling the amount of work. So you're really freed up. And again, this is just the ongoing progression of how technology frees up people to be more productive. Right. It is more productive. But what does that production look like? It's about more insights, new audiences, and the time savings, right? That's allowing them to then not only be better in the current campaign, but then how do you improve, you know, the next campaign, right? Whether it's for the same client or, you know, even within an industry as a whole. Definitely. I mean, sometimes it's hard to know where all of that new productivity will go. And I think there's often a concern with new technology that it's going to sort of replace people. And of course, it is replacing some of the things that people do. And I do think, you know, going forward a couple of decades, AI will have a significant impact. But in general, when you use technology to free people up, Back in the late 60s, that the first ATM, automated teller machine, was introduced in banks. And at the time, you know, bank tellers were really concerned, you know, that these machines were going to take their jobs. But it actually, it turned out that by having automated teller machines, the tellers were freed up to do much more valuable work, helping right. customers understand, first of all, understanding their customers and helping them understand how they could use the bank's products to serve their personal or business needs. And actually, you know, if you walk in any high street today, look at how many banks there are. There's far more banks and people working in branches than there were when the ATM was introduced. Absolutely. It's just a great metaphor and it's a great anecdote that really showcases how machines can truly help humans be more human, if you will, right? Help us do the things that we are best at of understanding needs and really, you know, engaging with each other rather than mired in the data, the analytics, the things that, you know, are, you know, too many millions of touch points or billions of touch points for us to make sense out of. That's right. Let's let the technology be the computer. That's right. That's right. Not the human being. What about, Comrade, as we sort of think about the future and AI continues to deliver breakthroughs when we match it to the challenge, what do people really need to be thinking about going forward of making sure that they're leveraging AI in the right kind of way? I would say with the easy accessibility of these large language models, Experiment. Experiment. We've certainly encouraged everyone in the business to experiment and see how it can help them with their roles. There's certain things you need to understand when you're using these solutions. First of all, you should understand how your data has been used. There's been a few headlines about people putting confidential information into these systems. So definitely check what you're doing. The other thing is, you know, experimenting with how best to use them. And by that, I mean, how do you create a process around it? How do you properly interact with them? You've probably heard this term prompt engineer. Yeah. So the idea that depending on how you phrase your question to these large language models, you may get quite different results. So understanding that and experimenting with it is certainly useful. Definitely check the results. So these models are incredibly powerful. You know, ultimately their training process is evaluating 
you know, are the answers credible? Not necessarily are the answers correct. And it is worth checking that the information, especially where it sort of, it indicates that it's factual is in fact correct. You may have heard this term hallucinations. Right. And it's where the machine, you know, the machine's trying to give an answer that is credible and has language that is, is appropriate based on the prompt. It can do that without necessarily having the facts and information correct. Right. There's even been stories of taking, of asking questions of large language models that were trained in different languages and therefore on different sources of media and different points of view and different government influence. And they can come back with quite different answers, sort of opposing views on the same topic. So you need to think a little bit about your, the, you know, your input, how you're yep. forming your prompts and also interpreting that output. But I think that the opportunity is significant. I think there's going to be lots of tools that help people use these models more effectively in business as well. And then beyond large language models, obviously this is the breakthrough that, that everyone sees, but within advertising, with programmatic advertising, we've been using AI and machine learning now for over 15 years to That's better right. understand audiences and to optimize campaigns. And the results speak for themselves. There is no comparison in terms of the sort of the results that can be generated by a system that's using um, predictive analytics and optimization and the powers, the superpowers that it can give a marketer to then use insights, experiment and innovate. Well, 44% more incremental. Yeah. You know, it is a pretty powerful value right. proposition. And all that time back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think there's going to be a responsibility, right, from not only the technology companies, but to your point, right, the human beings as well, to make sure that we're using these properly, we're checking our facts, we're making sure that what we're doing is accurate. Absolutely. And as a marketer using these tools to optimize advertising, as I mentioned, these are goal-based systems that optimize to your goal. So think carefully about what your real goal is. That's right. Right. Because our job at the end of the day as marketers, right, is to actually accelerate the business. It's to help the business grow. It's important to be able to leverage technology, leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning to hit the CPA, but also to understand measurement and the outcomes of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So sort of in conclusion, right? So we need to be prepared as marketers to continue to leverage and adapt and adopt AI, as well as have that responsibility and understanding of who are going to be the partners that are going to allow us to accelerate faster and better. Absolutely. And there's so much opportunity for marketers to better engage with consumers and better understand them. And, you know, we're obviously focusing on one piece of it. There's going to be so many exciting applications that come out over the, you know, in just the coming months. So the rate of development now is really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to see what comes next. Same here. Thanks so much, Comrade, for your time. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Dev. Thanks. Thanks, Conrad and Deb. Thanks for listening to this week's IAB UK's Stay Engaged 2023. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it and tag at IAB UK on Twitter or Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to access the full range of Stay Engaged episodes and stay updated on the regular IAB UK podcast. Tune in next week to hear Gabriel Green from A Million Ads talking about the power of audio and how brands are using dynamic creative to serve the most innovative ads.